Well, hey, everybody. I'm really honored to be up here today to get to, to share with you. It's, it's so good to be here. And, and if this is your first time here, welcome to Fairdale Christian. We're glad you're here. Uh, I don't speak all the time, so if you don't like what happens today, come back. It'll be better next week. I promise. I promise. But hey, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm real thankful for the, that warm uh, welcome from Brandon. And, and we've got a, a great staff here. And if you've ever wondered, maybe you don't know this, but like our, our, our staff is really close. We're like a family. And I, I was thinking about this this week. You know, last week, Brandon uh, Minot brought the message, and he's great. If you have not had a chance to get to know this dude at all, make sure you do. He's been here for just a few weeks already, and I feel like, man, this guy is my brother. I've I'm, I'm so ex- been so excited getting to know him and, and to, to meet him. But uh, the rest of our staff is really close, too. We're, we're kind of like a family. And I, I had this little, I, I was thinking about this the other day, and I had this story I wanted to share with you. Uh, about six or seven years ago, when Brandon Hatfield, our lead pastor, uh, first started working here, I, I was just getting to know him. And I remember I was having issues with an issue with my car. I, had a, I used to have a 95 Honda Civic, and that thing, I, I ran it into the ground. And, and I remember the brakes, the brake pads needed to be changed. I had to, to change out some of the parts. So Brandon said, hey, man, why don't you come on over? I'll help you out with it. And we're like, we can get this. We're a couple of dudes. We've changed brakes before. We're fine. And, and about <laughs> after about 12 hours and, and two brake lines later, we gave up. We threw in the towel, and he said, hey, man, why don't you borrow my car? and go home. And uh, there were some very unholy phrases that happened underneath that 95 Honda Civic, let me tell you. But man, that was a moment that I knew Fairdale's a place that I want to stay. The staff, the, these people, this, this pastor, man, they, they care. And, and I want to be on staff at a church like this. I want to be a part of this community. And we've got to have relationships like this in our life. We've got to have those people that have our back, you know what I mean? Those people that, that have our back no matter what. And some of us have relationships like this. But I would venture to say that statistically, only not, not everybody in this room even has that many close relationships. Robert Putnam in his book, Bowling Alone, says that 40% of Americans, 40% of Americans have between zero and one confidants or close friends they can share with. And this is a, a pre-COVID, stat, pre-COVID stat, excuse me. That means that, that almost half of us in this room, in the nation, and, and probably even in this room, have between zero and one close friends. The Center for Collegiate, uh, Collegiate Mental Health reports that there's a direct correlation between the rise of anxiety, depression, and the increase of social media. So social media is not helping with this either, is it? You know, the, a person, on average, we spend about, you may not know this, but a person on average spends about two hours a day on social media. And that may not seem like a lot, but just for context, we don't even spend two hours a day eating food. We spend two hours a day on social media. And, and I think it's because every time we get that like, every time somebody shares that post, there's a little, there's a little bit of the, the chemical reaction in our brain that gives us something similar to, uh, it, makes, it makes us feel that the same emotions, the same feelings we feel when we interact with somebody in a close personal relationship. The same thing happens. And, and hear me when I say this, I don't think that social media is inherently evil. I know we've got several people watching online. Social media is a great tool for ministry. It's a great opportunity for us to, to reach people, to engage, to have relationships, to see what our old college friends and, and everybody else is up to. But I think that instead of using it for its intended purpose and instead of using it in moderation, we're relying on it. We're not keeping it in its proper lane all the time, but instead we're allowing it to, to dictate how we feel. We often compare our most mundane moments to the highlight reels of others. And we say, why don't, 
why doesn't my life look like this? That does something to us. I think that this resonates with several of us, and, and, and maybe you're like me. Maybe you're someone who's in your, in your 30s, you got a couple of young kids, and you're just like, man, I, I don't know how to build relationships anymore. you got friends, we got friends that we see once a month or once a year, and, and you wish you could see them more, but you just don't have the time in your schedule to carve out. Or maybe you used to have those friends. Maybe you, you, you had those established relationships, those people that you could lean on and, and depend on, and then you went through a messy divorce. And your spouse got to keep those relationships. Or maybe you're here and you're, you're widowed, you're a widower, and, and you don't know how to build close relationships anymore. All this online stuff, it just seems scary. It doesn't make any sense. You'd rather just meet people in person, but you don't know how. Or maybe, maybe that's not the problem. Maybe you know how to meet people, but you're, you're just having trouble because you don't know how to trust people anymore. You've been hurt. You've been burned. And it's not just somebody out there. Maybe it's somebody in the church. Maybe it's even a leader in the church. All of this contributes to what I believe is one of the greatest epidemics of our time. And that's the problem of loneliness. And I believe that part of the reason we put up with loneliness is because it seems easier than the alternative. Dealing with relationships can oftentimes seem very inconvenient, very burdensome, and very painful. And I believe that it, it's because of two things. Number one, I think that we're doing relationships wrong. I think that a lot of us are just not doing them correctly. We're not doing them the way that God intended them to be. And, and number two, I think that we have an unrealistic or unhealthy view of what relationships are supposed to be. And so today we're going to look at what God has to say about this. We're going to be spending our time in Romans chapter 12. And just to set this up for you guys a little bit, Romans is, is really a beautiful book. If, if you haven't read through the book of Romans, man, go home and, and read through it. Spend some time in it. It's this theological masterpiece. And the, and the first eight chapters of Roman are just, Romans are just this deep theology about what God has done for us. And then chapters 9, 10, and 11 are all about what Christ is doing and has done in the church. And then comes chapter 12. And this is where we're going to spend our time today. And, and this is why it's important. Specifically, Romans chapter 12 is about these two groups of people. It's about the Jews and the Gentiles. And, and, and Paul's writing to the, this group, these groups of people and talking to them about how to do relationships together. And for context, if you're not familiar with, with the Jews and the Gentiles, think of the Jews as like the established pre church people. They know they know where to go, they know where to stand, they know when to sit, they know when to put this arm up, they know what to wear, they know all the ins and outs of, of, of being a church person. And the Gentiles are the people who, who started coming in after, after Jesus' ministry, the, 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 this group of people who are not churched. And, and as you can imagine, you've got these two different groups of people coming together for the first time in one fellowship. There's going to be issues, right? It's not all, not all butterflies and rainbows, right? So... Turn with me to chapter 12, verse 1, and we're going we're gonna to pick up and read, start reading right there. Verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, so immediately, Paul is using uh, the metaphor of family. We're already a family. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. This is humility. Humility is the linchpin of community. 
but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with what God has distributed to each of you. For each of us is one body, and this is important. Phil talked about this a little bit ago. That the body is such an important image. It's such an important metaphor uh, for, the, for the church, for this community. For each of us has one body with, is, excuse me, for each of, for just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to the others. Verse 6, we have different gifts. Each of you has a gifting that God has given you according to the grace given to each of us. We have a unique gifting that is embedded into the core of our personality, each person without exception. Paul goes on with a few specific examples. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. And by the way, some of you are, your spiritual gift is encouragement, and you're encouraging to me and encouraging to the rest of the staff. And I've got to tell you that, that this place can't run without that spiritual gift. I've been so encouraged by so many of you over the years. I just want to say thank you for that. Thank you for using your gift. If your gift is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do so diligently. And if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And this is not an exhaustive list by any means. And, and in this next part, Paul goes on. He gives us these short staccato commands that, that really get into the nitty, gritty, practical part of community. Just really helpful stuff. And, and this week, in your reading, in your, in your devotion time, I'd encourage you to go back to this and just spend a little time focusing on each of these and thinking through it, praying over them. Verse 9, love must be sincere. It's got to come from the heart. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Because God's vision of right and wrong is, is right at the center of biblical community, and we can't get away from that. He determines what's right and wrong, not us. And, and, and we, we need that. Be devoted to one another in, in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And, and honoring someone just means to simply recognize their unique contribution to this community. Honor them. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Encourage one another's passion for Jesus. Verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Let these be the primary demeanors of your heart in every situation. Verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Those who have a lot, make sure you provide for those who have a little. Practice hospitality. Open your home to others, and not, not just your home, but open your life to others as well. Invite people over to your house. Cook a meal. If you don't know how to cook, that's, that's what YouTube is for. Go, it, just do it. Uh, verse 14, bless those who persecute you and, and bless and do not curse them. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Don't make people feel like they can't share their successes or their failures with you. Don't make them feel like they can't share their joys or their, their burdens with you. In fact, don't be afraid to get involved in people's pain, even and especially when it's inconvenient, especially in those close relationships. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Conflict is going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But we have to be on our best, we have to do our very best to guard peace within relationships. Guard that peace, it's so important. Do not be proud, which, by the way, pride is the source of, of most conflict within communities. So don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And don't be afraid to, 
to outserve each other, to serve others in this community. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil with evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. This is the practice of community discernment. And, and this is something that kind of stuck with me this week, that kind of jumped out at me, because this is something that, that I think a lot of us struggle with. A lot of times we make decisions on our own without bouncing ideas off of people that we trust. We make moral decisions. We make leadership decisions. We do all sorts of things. We, we run out, we get an idea in our head, and we go for it. We just say, hey, I'm going to do this. And, and meanwhile, you've got a community of people, and you may not even realize this, you've got a community of people who are watching you make decisions and saying, ooh, man, that would have been a lot easier if I had told them this. Because I went through the same thing, and man, if, if I could have helped them out in this area, that would have been really helpful. That would have been really good for them. But oftentimes we run off without checking in with our community. Verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In other words, be quick to repent. Be quick to apologize. Be quick to have hard conversations, and then do your very best to mend relationships from your end. You can't always help what other people are going to do or how they're going to react, but do your very best to mend relationships from your end. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. God's going to take care of the situation. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And this is not a literal thing. We're not actually going to heap burning coals on people's head. But it simply means to humble those who oppose us. It simply means to, to humbly serve them. Do not overcome evil. Or excuse me. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so this is a lot to remember, right? This is a lot of information. And thanks for sticking with me during this. But what I want to do is I want to condense these down to three simple, uh, what, I, what I'm going to call rules for the road. Three simple applications, three rules for the load, the road, because Paul's instructions can really be distilled down into these three components. And they're this, forgive, listen, and stay. Forgive, listen, and stay. First, forgive each other for not being God. None of us is perfect. I'm not perfect. Our staff is not perfect. If you don't know this, we, I'm about as imperfect as it gets. So you can ask my wife about this. I am not a perfect person by any means or any stretch of the imagination. No person, no friend, no spouse, no relative, no brother, no sister, no, no child, no pastor can live up to our expectations. And at some point, they're going to let you down. Not only that, not only can, can they not live up to your expectations, but you, you, me, I cannot live up to my own expectations. You can't live up to your own expectations. It's because sin is, is woven into the very fabric of our being. We're going to fall short. It's just, it's in our DNA. It's, it, it, it's who we are. And, and I think that sometimes Christians really love to, to point at Acts chapter 2 as a template for the church. And, and don't get me wrong, Acts chapter 2 is beautiful. It's the first time. Think of it like the honeymoon phase of the church. Everybody's getting together for the first time. They're providing for each other's needs and, and taking care of each other. And it's beautiful. I love it. It's one of my favorite parts of the Bible. But sometimes I think it, we look at it a little idealistically, and, and I always want to tell people, like, just keep reading. Just keep reading the book of Acts, because the church goes on to deal with a bunch of different issues. They go on to deal with racism and greed and leadership problems, false teaching, and arguments over secondary issues. You name it, the church is anything but perfect. And, you know, I think this is one of the reasons why people give up on church or they church hop a little bit. I think this is one of the reasons. When you are in proximity with the same people for long enough... Not only do their flaws start to show, but your flaws, my flaws, start to show as well. Our flaws start to show, and this can be very disillusioning, but 
That's not necessarily a bad thing. If you think about the word disillusioning, the disillusion means to be stripped of an illusion, to be stripped of an illusion. And sometimes I think that we love the idea of community more than we love the actual community, and this can be really hurtful to the community. To explain this here, I got a photo for you. Let's put this up here. Look at these dummies. They had no idea what was coming for them. Man, I love this photo. Uh, this is my wife, Sarah, and I uh, getting married out in the field over here. And, uh, man, we had no idea it was coming. And just like every other young cu- couple, we were so excited about our wedding day. It was going to be the perfect day. And we, and we decided to do way too much. We handmade our, all of our own centerpieces. And I cut wine bottles in half and poured my own candles. And, 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 and we made these beautiful centerpieces. And now they're sitting in a, a garage at my mom's house just Rotting away. So if you know anybody that needs centerpieces, if she hasn't gotten rid of them yet, they're still there. Um, but, man, they had, we had no idea what was going on. And so we were trying to do too much. And Sarah's here getting ready, uh, getting, getting her hair done and, and, and makeup done and all this stuff. And so I'm the one who's got to get all the detail stuff done during, during the day. Because all i got to do is put some clothes on and shave my face. And, and so I, I get the stuff done, and I get back to the apartment, and I'm, I'm shaving, and I, I'm... I'm, I realized that I missed a spot on the side of my face, and so I decided I was going to freehand it without the guard on my razor. And some of you know where this is going. So I'm free. Well, here, I'll just show you. Can we zoom in a little bit? A little bit more. There it is. There it is. All of my wedding pictures have this. I, I, I nick the side of my face, and I have a hole in my beard. Every single one of our wedding photos where you can see this side of my face is is this, this beautiful little reminder that my wedding day is not perfect. And man, I was so mad at the time, but I think this is hilarious now. Anytime these pictures come out, I love pointing this out to people. I think it's super funny. But that's because what I value about this day, what I value about this day is not all the pageantry and the centerpieces and the, the little details, but what I value about this day is that this was the day that my wife and I started our life together. This is the day that we committed to one, each, one another in, in, in marriage and matrimony. And, and I think it can be really problematic when we love the idea of something. We love the wedding itself more than the marriage itself. It can be very problematic, and I think that this is true for community as well. Sometimes we love the idea of community more than we love the actual community itself. Number two, listen and love. Psychologists tell us that when we compassionately listen to someone else, when you sit down and you are compassionately listening to them, that person experiences love and healing. And this last year has been difficult for a lot of people. It's been really difficult, and I would argue particularly traumatic for some. I've heard it said that trauma is what happens when we experience suffering alone. Hear that again. Trauma is what happens when we experience suffering alone. It happens when our emotional pain cannot find a relational home in which it can be held. Number three, and finally, even when it's hard, stay. Stick around. Sarah and I went through premarital counseling together, which I think everyone should do. If you're getting married or you're thinking about getting married, make it a point, make it a priority. It's been one of the most valuable things we've ever, ever done. And to this day, we still invoke our premarital counseling when we're dealing with particularly diff- difficult issues in our marriage. We still invoke our premarital counseling. And if you want to know, by the way, what a saint looks like, you really should meet my wife. She's an incredible woman of God. 
an incredible woman of God. She, she, she models humility to myself and to our children. She's great at listening and sharing. And she's also really, really good at calling me on the carpet when I'm being difficult. I, I am probably one of the most difficult people in the world. And, and you can, again, you can ask her about this. She will tell you the truth. But, but not only does she call me out on my sin, she also then creates a safe space for us to deal with those issues together. And this couldn't happen if one of us ever had a foot out the door. This could never happen if one of us had a foot out the door. Because, and I want to I say this, hear me when I say this, it's because intimacy only resides in the safety of commitment. And early in our relationship when we were still dating, I remember having this conversation and talking about this. I remember vividly discussing with Sarah that divorce is never an option for us. It's not ever going to be an option. We're not going to get divorced. And speaking with other leaders and other people who've had successful marriages, who've been married for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, you ask them, like, what, what's the secret sauce? What's the, what is it? Like, how did, you, how did you find each other? How does all this work? Very simply, it's just, man, I made a commitment, and I'm sticking with it. We're going to figure this thing out. We're going to approach it in humility. We're going to figure this thing out together. I found this to be true across the board, is that things just don't get said. The things that need to be said just don't get said when, when we have a foot out the door and when we're not committed. So I want to challenge you to make it known, not just in your, in your marriage, but in, in all your relationships, that you're not going anywhere, that you're going to be there, that you're going to be committed, and, and, and that you're, you're going to be there for the long haul. When we do this, we create safe spaces uh, that are required for sharing to happen. You know, so... I want to ask you guys, what, is this, what does this look like for us today? We spend a lot of time talking practically about relationships, what it looks like when we're connected to others. But maybe, maybe you don't know how to even meet other people in the church. We come on Sunday mornings. It can be really difficult to meet people or meet new people. And I recognize that. We recognize that. So we want to wrap up today um, just by talking specifically about community. And, and when you came in today, there's this card on your seat. This regather card sitting on your seat. And I want to just take a moment to tell you about this. Real quickly, if we could, we would love to just capture some real basic information, name, phone number, and email. Um, and then we want to get you guys getting to know each other. We want to get you guys growing in community a little bit. And there's a few ways to do this. If you've been around church for any length of time, uh, you, you know this language, small groups. Small groups are, are really important. They're a part of our DNA and they're a part of who we are. They're how we grow together. That's the growing strong part of our vision here. And... If you don't know what a small group is, it's just that. It's a small group of people, about 10 or 12 people, that gather together uh, either, either in a person's home during the week for uh, several weeks during a season or here on a Sunday morning during one or the other of the service hours, whichever works best with your rhythms. And they're so important. This is where ministry happens. This is where it happens is in relationships in these groups. We've got some incredible incredible leaders and some incredible groups. Maybe you've got a home and you want to open up your home. Uh, that's on there too. Let us know. Have a conversation with us about that. You love to entertain, but maybe you don't love leading. There's a place for you to serve there as well. And then the other thing that I want to talk to you guys that I'm really excited about, something brand new that we're doing this fall, is called table groups. And so maybe you're here and the small group thing seems like a little bit too much to jump into. It seems like just a little bit too much. Like I'm a little nervous. I don't Maybe I don't know people or going to somebody's house for the first time. I just feel weird about that. Maybe you just want to dip your toe in. And, and table groups are going to be a great opportunity for you. 
And, and they are just what they sound like. They're table groups. We're going to have some tables set up over in the other building on Wednesday nights. In, in a few weeks here, we're going to be starting a series called Accidental Pharisee. And so they're going to be a sermon-based discussion. And we'd ask that you guys just come and join us. Just come and see what they're all about. You'll be at a table with other believers, other people that go to church here, and just have a chance to, to talk and get to know someone. In, in a way that's not superficial. But that's table groups. And then finally, the, uh, the last thing I want to tell you guys about is finding a place to serve. There are several ministries at Fairville Christian that you can get involved in and that you can serve. You can get involved and serve. And one thing that I've seen happen over the, the past decade of being here is that oftentimes when people serve together, because if you're going to serve, you're probably going to serve in an area that fills you up because it's part of your passion. It's part of you being that body of Christ. And... Uh, you're going to meet other people who have the same passions. You're going to meet other people who care about the same things and are like-minded. And that's where community is going to start for you. So, so think about serving as an opportunity to get to, to know people as well. You know, about a year ago, all the experts in technology and social media were telling us the future is digital. And a lot of you had to, to jump in. You had to pivot. All of a sudden, instead of driving into the office every day, you're having Zoom call after Zoom call. You're, you're, you're having to buy your groceries online. Your kids are having to figure out MTI. And then you got that one kid who's running past the background of the computer while you're having that really important meeting. And everybody laughs because everybody sees it. And we're, just, we're all trying to figure this stuff out together. And all these experts are telling us the future is digital. And even in the church, we had experts, uh, church leaders, that were telling us, man, the future is digital if you're not online, which, which we were. It, it serves a, a, an incredibly important function in the church. But if you're not doing all this stuff, your church is going to fall apart because the future of the church, like people aren't going to be gathered together ever again. We're going to be equippers. We're going to equip people in their homes. There was, and there was one particular leader I remember who was, who was just kind of hammering on this. And I thought, man, this is crazy. And over the past year, we watched as, as people's isolations at home became trauma. They became social unrest and political upheaval. And there came a moment a few months ago that I remember as, as things started reopening that the needle just moved. And I couldn't tell you exactly what day it is, but it was like a couple weeks where the needle moved and it moved quickly. And we stopped talking about the future is digital and Zoom and people aren't going back to work. And we started talking about, man, people are Zoomed out. People are tired of talking to each other on the computer. Kids can't kids. Kids aren't doing well in school because NTI is not set up for the relational balance that kids need. It, it, it just doesn't work. And, and we're seeing uh, concerts as they're opening up again. They're selling out, and, and church attendance is rising again. And I believe it's because our nation is craving togetherness. Our, nation, our nation's craving togetherness, and our city desires relationships. The south end of Louisville, folks, church, the south end of Louisville desires community. And I believe that God is going to use our church in this next season to reach people. And, I th- and th- this is why I think it's so important to be a part of a community, a healthy community, because people are feeling so isolated right now. But I really, truly believe that this next season, and we're not going to stop talking about this. Take this home if you need to and think about it. When you're done filling this out, you can, you can leave today. There's going to be, uh, we're going to be doing some special stuff. You'll be, I'll tell you about this in a second where to put this, but... Um, I just want to end today simply with a prayer, simply with a prayer that this vision will be, will be fulfilled, this vision of, of a deeper, truly engaging community where people love each other. It's not perfect by any means, but that it would reach the south end of Louisville, that there's people that need to know Jesus that are going to meet him through you.
meet them through you. We're going to meet them through us as we engage with them in relationship. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for today. We're thankful for you. Lord Jesus, you model for community for us. You gather 12 disciples around yourself who stuck with you through thick and thin. And even when abandoning you at the very end, you forgave them. You brought them back into the fold. Lord, a bunch of imperfect guys that you led and you taught. You opened not just your, not just your home, but your life to them. Lord, help us to be like you in all that we do. Thank you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.